reading this morning comes from Hebrews 5, starting at verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to, deserve good, to, to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instructions about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it was cultivated and receives a, bless receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope unto the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Father, we come here again week by week or in other churches that we attend to praise you, to pray to you, and to hear your voice. Lord, I pray this morning that your word would indeed be rain to us, that it would water uh, dry ground and, Lord, that it would bear fruit, that we would take it and change. Father, we know that nothing happens without your grace and your sovereign will. And I pray, Lord, that you would indeed extend that will to make us like your son. And that today when we leave here, we would go in that power and that wisdom and that truth and declare it to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Morning, Chapel Street. Good morning to the folks online, and hello to those that will listen later, and a special good morning to those that are visiting from Brizzy, I think, coping with the cold. <laughs> we're back in Hebrews, and we're going to go to what is a very hard passage. It's a passage that perhaps when you've read it, you've read it and gone, what on earth is this about? 
and maybe you've kind of just waxed over it you've made a cursory exploration of what it really means but we can't do that today um, we've got to get into it it's a piece or a passage that with the pieces of the jigsaw together is actually i think quite hard to see and so i think we need to pull those pieces out a little bit and just have a look at what each one is saying and then fit them together to help us to understand what it means for us today i want to say right at the outset this is a passage that questions our maturity and our growth in christ it's questioning very heavily whether we're growing whether we're building whether we're changing into the likeness of christ and it's an important question because it concerns salvation as we'll see now i can't see anything that's written on the page so forgive me there we go so first we need to understand what the context is because our writer changes his direction he's going in one particular direction he's talking about the supremacy of christ he's going deep into the character of Christ and more recently he's spoken specifically about Jesus being the great high priest in the order of Melchizedek he's spoken about how Jesus can identify with us in our struggles and be the one who provides a very important help in our time of need and let me tell you he's going to talk again about Melchizedek he's going to go deeper into this picture and reality that Christ Jesus is the great high priest but before he does he stops his listeners and so in a sense he needs to stop us doesn't he, he says we've got a lot to say about this stuff about Jesus Christ being the great high priest and about Melchizedek but I don't want to go there just yet because you may have an issue it's hard to explain because you've become dull of hearing the greek word for dull also means lazy you become lazy in your listening by this time you ought to be teachers i mean this is about ad 60 roughly some people put it later than that, but I think that's the general consensus. 30 years. You should be teachers by now of these things, but you're dull in hearing. In fact, you're babies, you're infants, you're drinking milk. You're not on the stake of Christianity. You're still with the milk like an infant. So you now need someone to teach you again just the basic stuff about Christianity. The fundamental things about Christianity. You need to learn those again. Because the people that eat the solid food that go on from there are the people who mature or are being matured. They're the people who have their powers, he says, of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. That's his opening statement, if you were, where he slams the brakes on. Just said, stop right there. 
concerned that you're infants. I'm concerned that you're dull of hearing. I'm concerned that you've become lazy and you've not grown in your understanding of these things you should be teaching by now. And I wonder why he ends up with these men and women that are growing and discerning so that they're able to distinguish good from evil. Why good from evil? Well, isn't that what happens when you grow in Christ? We know more about him and we know more about us. If we think we're growing in Christ and we don't believe that we're really sinful, then we're not able to discern good from evil. And more than that, if you will, that the world that doesn't know Christ is fundamentally evil. That's the nature of sin. And so we need to grow away from the world by constant practice, being trained so that we can grow into that which is good. Solid food for the mature, infant milk for those that need to be taught again the basic things of the gospel. And so what he does is he gives us two pictures one huge warning and then a lovely exhortation, which is a great way to finish a message. So I'm very grateful that he does that. He gives us these two pictures. And the first picture we can have a look is in chapter 6, verse 1. Read along with me. I'll read it again. And it's about building on a foundation. It may not be immediately obvious, but building on a foundation above these basic principles. Read it with me there. Chapter 6, verse 1, Therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. What's he talking about here? Is he saying that we should... Leave and forget the basic principles? I mean, what are the basic principles? Repentance from dead works. Isn't that how you get saved? Repentance from dead works. These are, these are fundamental, becoming a Christian. Faith towards God. Understanding eternal judgment. Understanding that, that we will be resurrected. He's saying forget all these things, move on. I mean, they're the entrance card, as it were, to the church, and then you forget it and move on. No, he's not saying that. To go on in this context is to build. What do you do with a foundation? You build on it. Isn't that right? I'm not a builder, but I know that houses have foundations. Houses that don't have foundations do what? They sink, they subside, they crack, they fall apart. Especially if you build them on sand. But if you build them on a rock, that is the word of God, that is Christ, then they stand. And what if you decide to build your own house, a literal house, right? Physical house. And you say to me, hey, Sam, I'm building my house. You want to come see it? Pretty well done. Yeah, go up and see your house. What if there's nothing but foundations? What am I going to say? Where's the house? It didn't seem to go on from just the foundations. I can't see the house. Oh, well, I've got the foundations in place. Yeah, but where's the building? The building that's being built hasn't been built. There's just foundations. So leave the elementary doctrine. Incidentally, the word elementary just means beginning stuff. The word doctrine there is the word words. 
to the beginning words around Christ, the gospel that you've heard, which you received. We need to leave in the sense of going on further, going on further in our understanding and in our depth, because he's about to talk about Melchizedek. He's about to talk about the great high priest again. He's about to talk about the atoning sacrifice. It gets richer, it gets deeper, it goes further. So we need to go on. We need to not just think that we know it all. And we actually need to think that we're not just a Christian because we know this stuff. Come back and say, well, you know what? I just need to lay that same foundation. You've already got the foundation. Get on with the building. Get on with the going on. There's a house that needs to be built here. We need to move to mature. So my encouragement to us straight away this morning is to go on. Not forget, not leave behind, but build on. Construct, grow, mature. Don't go back and just relay the foundations. That's the first picture he gives us. And the second picture he gives us, we jump down to verse 7. We will come back to the bit in the middle in a moment is around a field and a crop. Have a look, verse 7, for land that has drunk the rain, <clears throat> excuse me, that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated. That kind of land receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is simply to be burned. There's just two images inside this picture of a field. The field, of course, is us. That's what he's referring to. The word, the foundations that we're supposed to be building on. And one that is cultivated is good and useful when the rain comes, and the rain's coming. Right? It rains plenty of times in this uh, analogy. And that's good and that's useful. It's cultivated. It bears fruit. It does what it's meant to do and it brings blessing from God. But the land that isn't cultivated, isn't grown, if you will, when the rains come, produces thorns and thistles, weeds, if you will. Now, it's fair to say that I'm no gardener. Sandy is the one that does all the gardening in our house, in our place, and she enjoys it. Um, but I notice she spends a lot of time planting weeds. At least that's what it looks like sometimes, right? Anyone need to go planting weeds? No, they just grow, don't they? You can't go down to Bunnings and buy weeds. Hey, I'm here to buy some weeds. Where's the weed section? What? They don't sell weeds here. They just grow. You can't see a, a field that's not been cultivated without weeds, can you? That, that's a desert, by the way. You see a field that's not been cultivated and it's got nothing. It's a desert. Weeds don't take much to grow. It's not hard to be dull of hearing. It's not hard to be lazy. Anybody struggle to be lazy? If you had to struggle to be lazy, it wouldn't be laziness, would it? It would be work. <laughs> it's not hard to be lazy. 
And so we have to do something. When the rains come, we have to make sure this soil is cultivated, and that's the work of God, but we need to do something in it as well. Because I want you to know, it's raining now. Right this moment. Did you know that? Not out there, but in here. That's what we're doing. This is the rain. The spirit and the word in our lives. It's raining now. I hope you're not falling asleep right now. This is not a message to be falling asleep in. But it's raining. Don't be dull of hearing. The word is being spoken. It's being read. We're praying. We're singing. There's a lot of rain here. But are we growing a good, useful crop that will give rise to blessing from God? By blessing there, I infer maturing, growth, development. Or are we full of weeds? So that's our second picture. The first one is laying this foundation, growing on it. Not going back to lay it, but growing on it, going on. And the second one is this field that requires cultivation so that we can receive this blessing through the good crop. Now we come to the warning. Now this is the bit that brings a lot of controversy into churches. And I want to say it's actually not as complex as it looks. At least I hope that's the case. Let's, look, let's go back to verse 4 and I'll read it again for us. And uh, we'll try and understand it. So verse 4, chapter 6. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. It is impossible if they've fallen away to be restored again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God, to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Does that sound scary to you when you read that? That scares me, that bit of scripture. Really very scary. And the problem is that people read that and they think, well, there's some people in the church that lose their faith. I want to be very clear about this. People that have faith in Christ have it as a gift from God. That's what scripture teaches. Faith isn't something you conjure. It is a gift given to you that makes you alive. That's how grace is administered. And you don't lose it. You cannot be declared righteous by God and then be declared unrighteous because that's what faith does. It makes you righteous by the grace that's given through the efficacious work of Christ on the cross. And God doesn't do that and then take it away. I don't think scripture teaches that. He doesn't, it doesn't teach that you can be justified, made right with God, and then made unjustified, unright with God. It doesn't teach that you can be born again and then unborn again, if that makes sense. Well, you might say, well, what on earth is this here for <laughs> if 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 christians can't fall away and it looks like we're talking about christians why are you telling me that they can fall away well the key to understanding this text is simply to know that those who have these things and have fallen away 
aren't Christian. The dull of hearing that don't grow aren't Christian. But you will say, but Sam, it sounds like they are. It looks like they are. I mean, then let's look at it again. They tasted something. They've been enlightened. They've tasted the heavenly gift. They've shared in the Holy Spirit. Surely that's a Christian. They've tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. And then they've fallen away. That sounds just like a Christian, doesn't it? I mean, isn't that your experience? Is it? Please? Yes? No? Is it? I hope so. Well, the evidence that they weren't a Christian is that they fell away. And so he adds that terrifying element at the end of that section. Section, They can't be restored again to repentance. Not in that state. make a mockery of the cross by saying they're Christians, but there's no evidence, there's no maturity. And listen, sometimes we think of falling away as people that came to church, professed Christ, got baptized, joined in with everything, and then they physically left the church. But I want to say there's plenty of them still in the churches. There may be some here today that have fallen away. They might come here and enjoy this, they might even weep when the word is, is preached or when they're singing. They're tasting something, but their life is still sinful in the sense that they're no longer able or they're not able to discern good from evil. Do you see how the text is working? But you still say, but they tasted this stuff. I don't get it. How do I know I'm a Christian? Well, the answer to that is in this text. Are you growing? Are you growing? I'm not saying you need to suddenly become holy. That's our ambition to be like Christ. That's the call of Scripture. That's the call of the Holy Spirit. That's why you were saved. I'm not saying you're there. But are you working and walking towards it? Is there a change in you? Did you move from loving sin and trying to love God to hating sin and trying to love God? That's a great step, isn't it? to move from loving sin and trying to love God. We know that that's not, it's not going to work to the point of hating your own sin and loving God. That's growth. That's the, a big step. But still, it's hard to discern. It's not talking about people that knew Christ, were fully saved, were fully regenerate, as we say, fully born again, and then fell away and became unborn again. Consider for a moment Peter. I don't know about you, I love Peter. I, I really relate to him. Right? He's just an ordinary man who struggles with his faith, doesn't he? This is who Jesus is. You are Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. Wow. Next minute, he's just denying Christ. Right? And he's a man who tasted, didn't he? He walked with the word of God. How could you not taste the word of God and walk if you're walking with him, if you're hearing him, if you're seeing miracles, tasted the Holy Spirit, he shared in that heavenly gift, which is Jesus himself. I'm just doing something of the powers. Right? You might say, Well, that's okay, Sam. Um, he became a Christian, he got saved. 
and Judas didn't. He tasted as well, didn't he? Judas, didn't he? He walked with Jesus. He talked with him. He heard him. He experienced something of the Holy Spirit moving and what was happening at that time. But did he get saved? No, he fell away. He fell away. His life came to a horrible end. Even though he knew all of those things. He wasn't saved. He wasn't saved. Because you can taste things without consuming them. One of my favorite quotes from Winnie the Pooh when he gets caught stealing the honey jar and starts eating it. Piglet says to him, stop eating the honey. And he says, I'm not eating it. I'm just tasting it. <laughs> you can taste things and not consume them. And taste something of church and something of Christianity, but not indulge in a, in a positive sense in it, in him, in Christ. You can be enlightened to see something, but not grasp it. That's what the light does is it shows something. But you can just see it from a distance and not grasp it. And you can share in something, but never own it. Never own it. And enjoy something, but never fully have it. And so, what of us? Are we dull of hearing? Are we struggling to discern good from evil? Are we just, as it were, infants sitting on the foundations of the fundamental principles of the gospel and saying, I'm saved, Christ died for me? Or are we going on to maturity? Foundations, fields, a colossal warning in the middle of this text. He's basically saying to these people, look, I'm about to tell you some really hard stuff. It's really complex, and I need you to get into this, but I'm concerned that you're not yet there. I'm concerned that you're just an infant, so I'm going to stop and give you a big rebuke here. I'm going to give you a warning that there are people that have tasted of this stuff and fallen away. Is that you? Then he gives us an exhortation to imitate. It's beautiful. Jump to the end of this particular passage in verse 9. He says, though we speak in this way, right? Though I stop you and question whether you've got dull, dull ears, whether you're being lazy, whether you're building on these things. Though I speak in this way and give you a warning, yet in your case. Now, I think he's speaking specifically to the recipients of the letter that are going to read it out. And I'll tell you why in a moment. Because you wouldn't say you're dull in hearing and then um, say this. In your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. And this, by the way, is how I know it belongs. It pertains to salvation because he says, in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. What he's saying to those particular people is, I think with you, you're saved. I feel sure of it. Of better things. Why? Verse 10, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work. They've done a work, right? They're not lazy. They've done a work. And the love, that's a great work, 
that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. I feel sure of better things for you. I feel sure that you're saved because I can see you building. I can see you cultivating the field. There is love. There is work. It's done in the name of God. It's, it's experienced as love for the saints. It's one of the hallmarks of the church. You know that? You know, we love one another. And then he goes on with this idea that he wants the others to know the same thing. And this is how I know, or I believe that he's speaking just to the, the recipients of the letter at that point. Verse 11, and we desire that each one of you, like all of you, show the earnestness to have the full assurance of hope, this full knowledge of experienced salvation until the end do you get it there are people in the church that are either falling away fallen away or saved and can never fall away now i know some of you do fall asleep you're a little bit older than me and that's okay but don't be dull of hearing. If you hear, hear, listen, take it. The rain is raining. Don't come into the church. In the moment you've done the greetings and sung a few songs and the, the message for communion or the main message starts to be expounded, you just kind of switch off. We've all done that, haven't we? I've done it. Don't be like that. The rain is raining. Verse 11 again. And we desire that each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish. You know what the word for sluggish is? It's the same word for lazy and dull. It's exactly the same word. He's using the same language. Don't be dull at the beginning. I'm concerned that you're dull of hearing. At the end, I'm concerned that you're dull or lazy in your efforts and work. It's uh, something very specific. And here comes the exciting exhortation right there at the end of verse 12. But instead of being sluggish and lazy, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Be imitators. Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Ephesians says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. There it is. Do something in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Be imitators. I was chatting with Sandy about this idea of imitating people. Um being different to impersonating someone, right? We have impersonators that try and, I don't know, impersonate Anthony Albanese, for example. I'll spare you my terrible effort on such a thing. That's not what it's really talking about. It's saying, look at their life. If their life is in Christ and there's a maturity about it, then follow that, right? Imitate that. Because... You need to find out whether you are in Christ. And if you start to imitate that, it indicates you desire to be like that. 
which ultimately is like Christ. Be imitators of those. And I, I said to Sandy, you know, if you think of someone that you want to imitate in the church, you know, who would it be? And we were sort of discussing it a bit. And she said to me, what about you? And my first go-to was Adoniram Judson, who was around a couple of hundred years or so ago. And I had a few others on the list, Hudson Taylor, to have his perseverance would be quite amazing. And she said this, she said, they're all dead. And guess what happened? I started thinking of some of you. You know that? I started thinking of some of you. I want to be like so-and-so. I want to start to imitate them. They're, they're trying to walk in Christ. Who are you imitating? A movie star? A rock star? Some friend at work that you think is cool or at college or school? Imitating just what the world says? Netflix, right? Removing your sleep. That's what Netflix is doing. It's, it's taking it away. Hey, just watch another one. Just binge watch this. The world is just talking at you. Who are you imitating? Who are you listening to? Or are you dull of hearing? Have you become lazy? It's easy to be entertained, isn't it? You know the word amusement? The, the word amusement is Greek. It comes from the word museo, to muse, to think, to reflect, to ponder. That's a good thing, isn't it? To a museo is what? It's to do the opposite of that, to not think and reflect and ponder, but just be fed by entertainment. It's not hard to do. It's easy. Don't generally fall asleep then, become dull of hearing. But here we have to work. We have to cultivate a field. We have to build on foundation. That's why we come here. We want to build on foundations. That's what this is about. Now, at the risk of sounding slightly um, sinful, as often happens when I prepare a message, at some point, uh, my mind will wander away, usually to food, I'm ashamed to say. It's true. And in this particular case, I started thinking of cheese. Now, if, like me, you're a lover of cheese, and there are many kinds of cheese, I can see fellow lovers here, of cheese, yep, thumbs up. Um, you might be interested, as I am, in how cheese is made. I've never made cheese, but I do know a little bit about how it's made. Um, to get the fullness of a solid uh, Stilton cheese, if, you, if you've ever come across Stilton, it needs to mature. You know that? It needs to mature. Uh, the cheese makers don't use the word mature. They use the word ripen. <laughs> this cheese needs to ripen. You get the idea. It needs to kind of fruit and fulfill its fullness of taste and its texture. But do you know how that kind of cheese is matured? I'll tell you. It's wrapped up in a moist muslin bag and put in darkness. <laughs> It's just wrapped up in a bag and put in the darkness in the cupboard with the door closed. And then I was thinking, what about the apple? See, the apple matures, it ripens, 
but it doesn't get wrapped up in a bag and put in a cupboard. It needs other forces to make it ripen. It needs nutrients through the sap of the tree from the soil. And when they're in the apple, it needs the sunlight to cause the apple to, to ripen. And even if an apple falls and we take it and it's not quite ripe, what do we do? We stick it in the sun, don't we? Isn't that what we're meant to do? And the sun does a bit more work on it. It needs external forces to cause it to ripen or mature. What happens if you take an apple and wrap it up in a damp cloth and put it in a dark cupboard? It doesn't ripen, does it? Well, your apples. Are you in dark cupboards? Are you dull of hearing? Or are there external forces coming into your life, rain that falls, buildings that are put up on foundations that are causing you to mature? You're not cheese. It's not going to just happen. You've got to come out of the darkness. You've got to come into the light. You've got to take the word. You've got to beg Christ for mercy. You've got to pray without ceasing. And you will mature. I know you will. The word says you will. You will be able to discern evil from good in your life. Those things that you think you know that are evil that you've not seen a whole host of other things <laughs> that are in your life and are sinful. Don't be the apple in the dark room. Christ Jesus died for you. For your sin. That you'd be like him. See, he's the one really that we need to imitate, isn't he? Amen. Jesus Christ is the one we need to imitate. Chapel Street will close with this. Build on the foundations that you know. If you know the foundations, build on them. Don't be dull. Don't be lazy. Don't look the other way. Don't indulge in the world. Indulge in the word. Indulge in Christ. Build on the foundations. Cultivate the field. There's a harvest to come. There are good works for you to do. The rain is raining. You come to church. You came this morning. It's raining. Heed the warning. Heed the warning. Check your conversion, to be blunt. Find out if you're really a Christian. Best way to do that, incidentally, is to ask someone that really knows you closely. Do you think I'm growing? Do you think I'm growing, Sandy, in my case? Or Lucy, she's pretty, pretty blunt. Imitate people that love God. Imitate Jesus Christ, who is God, because Chapel Street friends you're the house. <laughs> you're the building. It's you. You're the body of Christ. Do you believe that? He wants to build you up. So grow up. Don't be an infant. Be a man. Be a woman. Be who you are. When I was a child, I, I spoke like a child. I reasoned like a child. That's what Paul says. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Right? I grew in my understanding my experience of Christ. And we'll end with this verse. This is Paul in Ephesians 4. And I want you to hear in this as I read it, that as the rain is 
poured out, so to speak, as it falls on people, on us, it does something. And Jesus Christ, he gave the apostles, he gave the prophets, you've heard them, one of them today, he gave the evangelists, he gave the shepherds, and he gave the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body. That's the, what the rain's trying to do. The building up of the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith. Listen, and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. What does that mature manhood like, look like? He tells us, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I'll speak to the men for a second. Men, you're meant to be oak trees here for Christ. You're meant to be oak trees. You're meant to be strong buildings, godly, fearful. And so are the women. The men lead the way God's structured it. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed around by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Netflix, whatever, I'm not totally against Netflix, but the world, right? Rather, instead of that, mature men, mature women, speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious, gracious God and our most loving Heavenly Father, Lord, as we reflect on what we've heard there in your word, I pray that uh, not one of us here would leave today question without questioning whether we're just somehow tasting stuff and not getting into it, Lord, and really coming to know you, not seeing signs of maturity. Lord, if we're not, I pray that we'd repent. I pray that we truly come to know you. And Lord, for us that do know you, I thank you for that. I thank you for this word which begs us, implores us, exhorts us, rebukes us, gives us a warning. We mustn't be dull in hearing. Oh Lord, would Chapel Street be not lazy in hearing, but just joyfully receiving the rain as it comes. And all God's people said, Amen.